Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hey, everyone. We have a special guest today. This is Taj McCoy. Taj is an agent who has the most beautiful perspective on bringing your work, all of the details it needs to really come alive. Taj, we're so happy that you're here. Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, Taj, you're also an author. I am. I am. <laughs> Can you tell our listeners about the books you have floating out there, out there in the world? Sure. So um, last year, my debut came out. It is Savvy Sheldon Feels Good as Hell. It's uh, kind of right on the cusp of women's fiction and rom-com. And it involves a plus-size sweetheart who has her heart broken and along the way finds love with the gentleman who is renovating her kitchen. Um, And then (laughs) the one that came out this year is Zora Books Her Happy Ever After. And it is a love triangle in involving a plus size bookstore owner who has a crush on one of the authors who hosts an event at her store. Um, and she ends up also finding an attraction to his best friend. And so she dates both and she has to figure out what it is they're hiding from her before she can decide who it is she wants to love. Oh, oh, okay. So many lovely questions here. Very excited. <laughs> before we get to the linear, let's do things in order part of the podcast. May I ask sure. you a question about Please. So usually they're like, hey, lady protagonist, choose one guy you like. Did you get pushback for that? I didn't. I didn't. I think from the very beginning, my editor understood that I was kind of giving a little bit of Cyrano de Bergerac. And so I was like, you know, like, it's so fun because, and, you know, if I say too much, it'll give away the ending. So I won't do that. But it allowed me the opportunity to kind of create some twists and turns that you don't necessarily often see in, in romance, but I have have been kind of toying with the idea of eventually maybe writing a cozy mystery. And so I thought, like, what better way than to kind of fold a mystery into a romance and see what happens. So I think it's so interesting, the people that skirt writing and agenting and also editing with that, of course, you're doing that yeah. for your for your for your clients. Tell us what you've learned about bridging the gap between those things within the rom-com, you know, romance area. Yeah, yeah. I, I represent, you know, folks in, in kidlit and an, and an adult. But what I'll say is, you know, when it comes to kind of writing versus editing and really trying to get to a place where the story is just as polished as it can possibly be, I think the important thing is to try to a lot of times go in rounds and also create a checklist for yourself. I know for me, I am strong in dialogue 
And when it comes to sensory details, I'm good at it, but it's not the first thing that I think of. And so for me, it's better to kind of like do the thing I'm strong in first and then come back and fill in those details um, as I kind of consider, okay, well, as they're having this conversation, what might be happening around them? And if they happen to be on a date, you know, like, first of all, what are they eating? Um, But also, you know, in what ways can we then incorporate tension and texture and tastes and scents and smells and surroundings and sounds Um, And so I really just try to layer. And I think a lot of times as writers, we being perfectionists and being our own worst critics, we are looking for a draft to come out perfect. And that's never been the case for me. Hats off to anybody that has a perfect draft. I have to kind of like work at it over time and and layer things on kind of like a pizza. That's so interesting because when you were talking, I mean, I love the pizza and that is like the perfect (laughs) comparison. And now I really, really want a pizza. Can we have pizza? Yeah. My friends here. Um, but uh, I was thinking about it in terms of like, you know how people can do that screen printing where it's like, yeah. you know, you have some characters in this color and then some more, mm-hmm. like you've got the trees and then you've got the background and then you've got the yeah. foreground. And how wonderful to give people permission to do what they want first. Yeah, I think it's necessary. Like if you play to your strengths first, you're going to be happy with that initial draft enough to keep going as opposed to constantly second guessing yourself on what's on the page so that you never move forward. Um, And so it is, it's kind of like screen printing or even like when it's like paint by numbers and you you try to pick, you know, the color that, that hits the most numbers first. And then you go back in and you start to fill in the different pieces. And that's kind of how I do my checklist. That first number that has the most color, that's my dialogue. And so sometimes the chapter might just be dialogue. And then I'm filling in what's happening and how it's happening and what the experience is as I go. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I've been thinking a lot about this recently. I think people can overwrite sensory too, right? So you can't Mm -hmm. find the plot or it's just too stuck in there. I'd like to, can you give tips about finding that balance? Yeah. Well, so for me, I start with the thing that most people hate. And I did see that someone on Twitter asked a question specifically about this, but I actually draft a synopsis before I do anything else. The moment that I have a book idea, I know that I'm close to ready to writing it if I can draft a synopsis and it makes sense. When I'm drafting a synopsis, I'm I'm thinking of every single beat that I need to hit because romance readers are voracious and they know what they're looking for. Um, And so I want to make sure to deliver on the things that they're expecting, but perhaps in unexpected ways. Um, And so in in drafting my synopsis, I'm really making sure that my narrative summary is really giving my editor the idea of what's going to happen without getting into the weeds, but also in where are we going to hit those necessary beats so that we can um, kind of accomplish a satisfying story that gives romance readers, you know, what they want. I love that you're talking about it that way because I feel like I'm done editing with the client no matter how many rounds when I can be like, you know what this is about? It's about this, this, and this. And I can tell you on a page. And that Mm -hmm. is a great sign that the editing is done. This is another way that it's like, it's taking shape and it's, I, I, I don't even know what to say of it, but it is it is in the world enough. It is manifested enough. It is solidly its own thing enough that yes. you can talk about it with excitement and um, that it has that arc when you, because every 
pitch has its own mini arc, right? And so yeah. when all of that is clear and you're ready to talk about it, I love the moment of like, yes, here we go. Yeah, I think it's that, that's why I struggle if I try to plot. I applaud people that are able to pants because, you know, I, I some of my best friends are pantsers and when they're writing, they're like, what plot? It's just vibe. And I appreciate that. But for me... <laughs> I can't do it. I often will write myself in a corner because I haven't yet considered, you know, the plot points that I know that I need to hit or the pacing or the stakes. But if I focus on the synopsis first, that allows me to kind of think about all of those things and make sure are the stakes high enough? Is the conflict high enough? Is there an internal and an external conflict? You know, like I just have to try to tweak things there because that actually helps me cut down on multiple rounds of revisions. I like the idea of plotting. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, I've been writing, um, instead of writing a synopsis, because that word makes us all crazy. I write a movie treatment, which makes me feel somehow better. I'm Fair. not sure how, sure. you know, like act one, act two, act three. But I sometimes yeah. think that even with that, you're still as a writer walking through fog and you're kind of putting your hands out to see what mm -hmm. you're touching, right? Because yeah. even with a loose synopsis or plan, there's so much interesting things to feel along the way. And mm -hmm. if you give yourself permission just to be like, today, I'm just going to write into the fog. I'm going to, yeah. you know, touch things I'm not sure about. We're putting things in our writing that we don't even know about. Like we don't That's like, right. it's, there's subconscious themes. And I think when you're adding sensory details and you're adding everything else, you start realizing that the themes are what mm -hmm. should be attached to the sensory details. And that's how you know, right? Yeah. So like yeah. if, and we, we just did a thing in Ireland, we wrote about colors. Like, so like mm. maybe one, one scene has this color where another scene has this and because you don't want things to be the same notes, which in a synopsis, it can all kind of look like a, a jumbled mass of ideas. Yeah. Um, do you have any other ideas for, for a plotter to mm -hmm. pants? Like where, when is that a good time and vice versa? Yeah. You know, cause I know for me, okay. So first of all, for any of the listeners, I am a Capricorn. So I spreadsheet same. everything. Yes. I am know, a Scorpio. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a little fiery. Yes. I love that. But for me, like I, I need a list. I need something to kind of roadmap out what it is I'm going to do. And, you know, as I'm writing, I'm, I'm one of those, even though I need a spreadsheet, I don't have to have a whole summary written out about who a character is. I like the characters to introduce themselves to me along the way. And so sometimes that means, you know, even if I've plotted out like the main points that are going to happen in in a scene, um, I let the character still dictate how they're going to get there. And if they need to take a detour, then that just informs how I move through the next scenes. Um, and so I, I never take every plot point that I've made as like cemented. Um, those things are still flexible and I can let the characters go where they need to go uh, to get to the crux of the story. 
Um, as long as I feel like we're still within the premise and we haven't veered too far off the path, I think we're fine. And so it, it's just about, you know, taking the liberties and having the freedom to, you know, if I know in this particular scene, they're going to go on a date, everything else is up for grabs. Just the simple fact that they're going on a date, that's what's happening in the scene. Yes. But where they go, what that date is, how it's conducted, how they react to each other, the tension you know, and, and does it work out? Does it not work out? Is it going to be funny? Is it going to be a hot mess? You know, all of those things are still all up for grabs. And so I think that as long as if you're, if you're plotting and you don't really like plotting, as long as you don't make it too restrictive on yourself, I think that that's the way to go. Julie, you have some questions from Twitter. Yes. Yeah. So I did something new today and I just went out on Twitter and I said, Hey, I'm with Taj. Are there any questions? And we got some. So let's talk about things that people are considering right now. And I think this is interesting. So many places want different word counts, single page, 300 words, 500 words, et cetera. I feel like I have to keep five different versions for a document that is so tricky to write well in the first place. Um, What what are you guys seeing as norms? And like, what should people plan for a first page submission workout wise? This is a synopsis. I think it's talking about first pages. So some people consider 300 pages, the first 300 words, excuse me, the yeah. first, and some consider 500. Well, I think it would only be 500 if they're single spaced. Mm-hmm. And so in, in most instances, when you're going to see a submission, it's a, a double spaced page. Um, and so you're, you're, probably going to land more around the 250 to 300 word mark, um, assuming that, you know, you're using an 11 or 12.5. It's interesting how people love these quantitative questions because it's ones where they can be like, yes, there's a definite right or wrong answer. Right. And like most <laughs> things in creative arts. Let's go with that. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I, I, mean, I mean, maybe it's just kind of like, you know, you go to like a contest and they're like up to 500 words, you know, like you definitely Mm -hmm. see that. And I think that this is an interesting question because I think what this writer is saying is, and I did this as well, if I had to, you know, if I have to share one page, I want that the end of that first page to twist into something like a feeling. And and Mm -hmm. some people are like, no, you know, like you see people all the time on the panel, like when you do the, on, the online panels, they'll try to just like squeeze in a little bit more, but we catch them and we pull it off and it kind of falls flat, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they're trying to get to a certain space. So like when you do this, like, and I think that's what you should be doing. Like if you have one page to give, you it, like you have to somehow take out like middle sentences. Like you have to just like render down just a little bit to get that, but like, that's, that's what we think as from the writer side and we're sharing, but do you guys, are you able to intuit what's coming if they don't have, you know, the kind of that cool, neat first page kind of like leave you hanging? Like, do you guys have thoughts? Are we overanalyzing? Because even like Jessica's like, oh, we always overanalyze, but yeah, there's reasons to overanalyze. Yeah. I mean, you know, I do think to an extent as, as writers, we do kind of overanalyze a little bit, but I think also it's, it's just in also the context of what's happening. If an agent is only going to see one page, right? A lot of times they will have the benefit of also having a query letter, or maybe they also have the synopsis. So they should be able to glean from those things, kind of the direction the story is going in, even though they only get a page. 
Um, and if they're only looking at that first page, a lot of times they are considering how that first page draws them in or doesn't. Um, and so it does it have to have a twist? Not necessarily, but is there something hooky in that first page that draws me in? Am I connecting with the main character? Is something funny happening? Is there some sort of really outstanding opening line or opening paragraph that gives me a sense of what's to come uh, without telling too much? Um, you know, like, I think it's, it's really in the delivery. Sometimes you find that on a first page, you'll have writers who, you know, they really want the reader to have a sense of what the world is and, and, you know, all of the different parts and pieces. And the hard part with that is sometimes then you end up with an info dump right at the beginning. That's something to try to avoid. But, you know, at the same time, like, you want to make sure that as you go, you, you're considering what questions the reader might have because it's really about making sure that the reader is experiencing the story with the main character as opposed to the main character just telling the reader what had happened. Yeah. Okay, let's go back to synopses. Is it important for a synopsis to be voicey? Well, I mean, I look at a synopsis as a narrative summary that in, in the briefest way possible gives you a sense of the plot. I often see synopses that are written in the voice of the main character so that you get a sense of what you're going to get throughout the book. I think it can be helpful. Um, I don't think that they have to be super voicey as long as you get a sense of kind of who this person is and as they're navigating whatever's happening in the story, you know, like what their feelings are about whatever's happening. I think that you're okay. I think a lot of times what happens with writers is they worry a lot. Of, and I just saw an author post on Twitter about this. They worry about spoilers. And so then the synopsis is super thin. And it might only be a paragraph or something like that because they don't want to give it away. But if I've asked for a synopsis, I actually want to see, you know, what is the summary? What are the plot points? Because it also gives me a sense of, has this writer really considered the pacing? Have they considered the beats that they need to hit? And what is the spacing between those beats so that I have a sense of editorially, what kind of work this story might need? I won't get that sense if the synopsis doesn't accurately give me the summary because they're trying to hide what happens. To me, spoilers are never an issue, whether it's a TV show, a movie, a book. I don't care if I know how it ends. It's still about how the story is told. Um, and so at the end of the day, you know, I really want to be able to see how everything plays out. Um, and so a spoiler is never going to bother me. It's really, really more about getting a sense of how you've organized the story and where different things start to happen that build up and create the tension and the climax that we're really looking for. So just a follow-up question to that from this writer. Yeah. Um, do you feel like there's a sweet spot in length? I think we see varied amounts here on that a lot. Um, I think most agents, especially when, even when I was querying, were saying, you know, one to two pages is sufficient for a synopsis. I think, you know, if you're already signed to an agent and you're instead writing a synopsis that's a part of a proposal for a book that you're trying to sell, it can be more detailed than that. Um, but when you're querying, one to two pages should be fine. Do you, when you get a submission, do you read the synopsis first? Do you read the pages first? Do you mix and match? What do you do? 
That's a great question. I read the query, then the synopsis, then the pages. Oh, so organized. Wow. Very like <laughs> I uh, I don't. I usually toss out the synopsis until I absolutely need it. Yes, I do. I read the query. I read the pages. If I get to a point when I'm like, I like the writing, but nothing's happening, that's when I yeah. dive into the synopsis. I find that, you know, there are a lot of folks that struggle with queries. And, you know, sometimes it's just because they're like, I, I don't know how to pitch it. You know, like, I, I really just know that I have a good story here. And so sometimes the query might not tell me what I need to know. And usually then I find what I need in the synopsis to give me a sense of how to set my expectations for the story. And so I you know, I, I usually will read both before I get to the pages. If I find that the query, you know, tells me everything, then sometimes I will just try to dive right into the pages. But um, I use Query Manager and the way mine is set up, I, I see the synopsis before I get to the pages. So it's just right there, you know. <laughs> Can't oh. not look. I mean, that's horrifying. Yeah. That's horrifying. So like... <laughs> It's really, I think it's really difficult to write a great query. So as they say, the query is like, not great. Do you still go to the pages and see, and see the writing? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, phew. Yeah, me I too. Because you could be like, I'm out. This, this. I mean, I, I, I do know that there are some folks that do that, but to me, like querying is hard and pitching is an art. And so like, I don't expect everybody to be good at that. Um, and I also know that everybody's access, you know, to information on how to do these things is different as well. Um, and so to me, it's about making sure, you know, if I'm not getting it from the query, that's why I go to the synopsis next, because I'm like, I know synopses are painful to a lot of people. But at the same time, sometimes the synopsis tells me what I needed to know so that I'm like really still excited to dive in, even though I didn't get it in the query. Um, and so it, it just depends. Yeah, so many so many chances for writers. Like, yeah, like yeah, it's you're a very generous eye. <laughs> I think though that if most people think the query is interesting, they'll at least look at the pages. You know, I yeah. kind of look at the query and I'm like, I don't know what you're trying to say, but it looks interesting. I'll go to the pages for sure, for sure. So there's one, and more. I think that's a lot of people too. I don't, I don't think. I think the folks who are like query must be perfect, or I will not read a line of the pages. I think that's. Gosh, I would guess like 10% of people. I think yeah, it's pretty rare. I would say that's right. You know, I think it's one of those things where, you know, if you see something in the query and you absolutely know that, that number one, that it's not something you rep or number two, that it's a subject matter that you're not interested in. Like I know for me, my eyes kind of glaze over when I see like World War II things in my inbox. Um, it's just not for me. So it just depends. I think everybody has those things where they're like, you know, I'm not looking for that. And so they may not move forward. But when it comes to like the query is not well written, I think most people give people some grace. That's amazing. Um, so there's one final question while we're on the Twitter questions. I'd love to know comp titles. I'm struggling mm. with my current books. Is it better to focus on themes or writing style? I don't want to falsely advertise my book, but I'm finding it hard to pick effective comps. I think that you can always do a combination of comps when it, when it comes to that. 
I've seen some queriers where they comp three different titles uh, because they're trying to give you a sense of the themes. They're trying to get you a sense of, you know, the twists and turns of the plot, but they're also trying to give you a sense of the vibe. And so, you know, you might see someone comp a couple of books and a movie to get their point across. And I think it's okay. You don't have to have one thing that you're comping, you know, you can kind of combine it so that they get a sense of, Oh, okay. Well, this is like even using Savvy, right? My first book. This is a, a combination of, you know, part of the plot from the movie Something New with uh, a dash of Bridget Jones' diary and, you know, a, a, a smattering of, you know, Black love and Black joy. Um, and so I think like if you kind of give them a, a sense of, you know, how to set their expectations whether it's based on theme or plot or vibe um, or, you know, kind of character ensemble. Um, I think that gives folks a sense of how they can set their expectations and move forward. And maybe also, you know, a lot of times as agents are reading, they're also thinking about, well, how would I pitch it? How would I sell it? Um, and so if that, those are the things that we're thinking about. But even when, when I'm pitching, I usually will use multiple things to comp. I like those too, because, you know, when people talk about like, it's this meets this, okay, what part? Yeah, exactly. Like if you tell me like it's it's got the same kind of theme, right? But at, these are where the things kind of diverge. Then it's like the characters are kind of more like this and, you know, like the storyline or the voice in it is is on this side. Then it's like, "Oh, okay. Well, that kind of flips them on its head." Interesting. Let me keep keep reading. I'm sure I've said this before, but my favorite comps I've heard are The Bridges of Madison County meets Jaws. Oh, wow. I would read that in a second. I, but it could go so I many directions. So right? many questions. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, I have my questions asked. Do you, have, do you have other questions? Or is there anything you just like have been thinking about lately that you would like to talk about? Like, is there a conversation that you keep wanting to have lately? You can have it here. Ooh, let me think. You know, um, there's there's been a lot of a lot of Twitter talk lately. You know, it's so and, funny. I was thinking yeah. about Twitter myself when you she. Were you? I was. <laughs> Well, there's yeah. just so much anger. And I, I mean, yeah. I, I personally said something like, if you're a new writer, like, and you see this, how you must feel about our industry. And yeah. people said to me, I don't know if we're thinking of the same thing, but people said to me, well, we're just voicing our concerns. So how do you guys as agents feel when you are interested in someone's work, but then you see them like losing it on Twitter? Like, is it, is it a pass for you? Or is it, is it like, what is it? Because I, like, I know what I think as I sound like, I'm going to sound like a mom though. I'm going to sound like a mom if I say it. Right. So what do you guys think? (laughs) Well, but there's also the fact that the fear is cases valid, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to say that fear is an automatic fail. If fear was an automatic fail for me, I would have automatic failed at so many areas of my life. Yeah. So if it's coming from a place of fear, I think that's very different than if it's coming from a place of like, I don't want to say entitlement, I guess. And it's mm-hmm. it, like, like to me, it's so different if it's someone who's just afraid and being anxious and like, how do I navigate oh. this? This is also scary. Like, I think that's very understandable versus mm-hmm. like saying things like, I think, I think Julie, I think you said someone said that new agents don't deserve to make a living and that is upsetting to me. <laughs> That's very disappointing. Yeah, I, I would, it would be very hard to want to remain in the industry if if we were expected to do 
the amount of work that we actually do and not make a living. You know, I think that a part of what's so been so difficult lately being on Twitter is there's a very real kind of chasm uh, that's being built between authors and agents. And, and being that I'm both, I certainly see both sides. It is extremely overwhelming and uh, disheartening in a lot of ways to be out there and, and be trying to, you know, query and trying to keep your spirits up and trying not to be anxious and trying to protect your health while still trying to learn about the industry. And it's also very real to be frustrated when you feel like you are querying and you're being rejected, but you have no idea why. Um, you know, all of those things are absolutely valid. On the agenting side, you know, I think that we're seeing a lot of folks try to protect their peace. And so things have gotten kind of quiet, you know, in on social media for a lot of people who are just like, you know, I can't continue um, to try to engage if I'm going to be attacked for being encouraging or for being transparent, which is what so many people are asking for. Um, you know, like, I think there's this line of wanting people to tell us the truth and give us the information. And, you know, but then there's also, you know, a group of folks who are like, you know, it doesn't matter if you love something or not, you should just sell it because that's your job. Um, and I think that the hard part there is, they're not understanding that our job is so much more than that. And so it's a partnership. And if you're not looking for a partner agent, then you have to really do your research to find those agents that don't say that they're looking to collaborate with their authors. For me, I know with my clients, I'm in it for the long haul and they know that. And it's one of those things where, you know, I believe in their writing. I think that they're incredible. I think that, you know, it can be really hard to be on social media and see other people, you know, get a deal before you do. Um, and so that frustration comes out, that anxiety comes out. Um, and so I, I think we talked about this on the Q&A, you know, my best advice is always eyes on your own page because you don't know how long someone's been on sub. That's one of my why. favorite, favorite yeah. <laughs> of all times. Just keep your eyes on your own page. I thought that was genius, by it's the way. Necessary. I, I think that I said it to someone else, mm. but I forgot she oh, said really? it. I think You've it said you. it a few times, actually, and it pleases me each time because of your teaching. <laughs> I, well, I know, but I was like, who started it? I couldn't remember because we <laughs> That was you. Thank you. Of course. Yeah, it's. It's important, you know, like, because I think we see a lot of times where people, you know, utilize social media to to vent. And that's their right. You know, I think everybody needs to extend a little more grace. And we would do so much better if we did. But also, you know, when it comes to some of the social media posts, there are times when, you know, uh, I saw a, a conversation going back and forth about this a while ago, where um, someone was like, well, agents shouldn't look at potential clients, social media. What? And yeah, yeah, it was a thing. Um, and, you know, I would respectfully disagree with that because at the end of the day, I'm looking for partners. I'm looking for people that I can work with long-term, um, who I can communicate well with, who I, whose visions I understand, um, and who I believe that, you know, I would be able to sell their work. There are times when, you know, you see certain things and you realize that that might not be someone I can partner with long-term. 
Um, and so will I take that information into account as I'm considering certain manuscripts and things like that? Of course I will. Um, because at the end of the day, like, I don't want to be in a situation where I'm contractually bound to a client that, you know, we don't have the same kind of desire in terms of their work. We don't have the same vision. Perhaps we don't necessarily navigate things the same. You know, that's going to come out in other ways because there might be frustration then in how I proceed with editors, in the sub list that I build, um, in the editorial feedback that I provide. Um, and so like, it's, it's not just one thing. That's why we can't just go out and sell a book. Sales are actually not up to us. We go out and pitch a book. Um, sales are not up to the editor. The editor then takes it to a team that has to consider the book. So there are levels to this. And I think a lot of times people don't necessarily understand what happens behind the scenes. Um, and that's where a lot of this Twitter confusion comes from. Well, and just going back, I think for me, it's that I want to know my clients as whole people. And that is just another way to get to know them as whole people yeah. because they talk about their lives. They talk about what they're working on. They talk about their hobbies. I get to see their cats. I get to like get a sense of who they are as like actual human beings. And that's really important yeah. to me. And I would think Huge. that a lot of writers would want to be known in that way mm -hmm. well it's a business like you yeah. guys are in a business and writers need to see themselves as a business i know i got in trouble because i said that the right the publishing industry i think it's fabulous it has problems it absolutely has problems and we're talking more and more about these problems on this podcast and trying to you know like like make sense of them but in the end it is a business and right. if you see yourself, say it's your side hustle or it's your gig or it's your, or it's your full-time job, whatever it is, I really think that you need to put yourself out there as being somebody approachable, somebody kind, someone that will check in when someone's having a hard time and maybe give advice, you know, like a helper, but that's, that's my, once again, I taught mass communications. I don't know if I've mentioned that in a while. So like, how you present yourself absolutely matters and it matters from every arena. So if you're a new writer, like there, there's more bad than good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you know, think before you tweet. Well, I think it's also true on the other side too. Absolutely. We want agents mm -hmm. who are kind and approachable yes. and helpful absolutely. and not just out hurting people. You're right. But doesn't that, isn't that helpful? It, that goes both ways because if I go online hypothetically and I see someone that's like, I don't even like these writers, you know, I just want to make the next, I just want to make the next sale and, or whatever. Not that anyone Whoa. said that, but hypothetically, right? <laughs> But that, but that gives you a sense of, because this is a human business, it's a business of human connections and yeah. books are humanistic, creative, like vibrational things. They, they, they start mm -hmm. to live on their own. So the people behind the books, I think need to be in some sort of unison. So yeah, if I saw someone saying that, or if I was like, if someone was like, I hate dogs, I'd be like, I don't know if I could query that person. <laughs> 
That's true. That's right? absolutely true. Yeah. Or I well, kicked I a dog. Um, Imagine that. Oh, that would oh. be major. I would, <laughs> okay. I would definitely have an issue with them. But I think, you know, we see a lot of, and we encourage writers to do their research when it comes to agents. And we tell them, you know, make sure that you really have a sense of, of how this person moves because it would be a business partner for you, right? I don't think it's any different for an agent to want to vet an author in the same way. Let's go somewhere happier, please. Well, no, yeah. <laughs> I, I think we can. I think we can end happy. Okay, so let's let's bring it back to books. It is okay. summer. It is the okay. perfect time for rom coms. Right. You have excellent yes. taste in rom coms. What is half of the rom com? The com. How do we make them funny? You know, for me, when I'm looking at writing a rom com, part of what I'm doing is, you know, you have to remember that comedy has to be as central to the story as the romance. Um, and so as I'm writing the scenes, I'm intentionally trying to figure out where I can insert and infuse the funny. And so like for some scenes, I'm doing that in a way where I can like build it up so that by the end of that particular scene or chapter, um, we're having a real moment of like laugh out loud kind of cackling humor. And then in other moments, it might just be kind of a subtle chuckle here and there. I like to have some characters that are a little snarky. Um, I also like to have some characters that feel like comic relief. In my second novel, Sora, um, her comic relief is her grandmother, who is just baby obsessed and wants her great grandbabies to be born and does not care who the father is as long as she gets them. Um, and so she just kind of harasses Zora all throughout the book because she just wants her great grandbabies. And so she loves for Zora that she is uh, dating two guys because at the end of it, she's like, well, either one of these could be a, an excellent specimen, you know, in terms of fathering my great grandbabies. Um, and so oh, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, but it's one of those things where it's like, you know, okay, well, what can be a constant sense uh, or source of humor? And then what are the things that you can cause that are like things that happen physically or things that happen in terms of events or setting? Um, in what ways can you infuse those things into different facets so that it doesn't feel like it's always coming from the same place? And that some of it feels really unexpected, but will bring that laugh out of you. Do you map it out in terms of what kind of humor you've got? Because you can't have all like slapstick for 300 pages. You can't have right. like unfortunate things happening that are like cringe humor for 300 pages. Like how do you figure out the, the balance of all of those? Usually humor is one of the last things that I add I because I want to be really intentional about it. Um, and so I work through the romance plot points first. And then what I do is I read each scene and I'm like, okay, how can I make this funnier? How can I like really bring out, you know, different parts of these characters' personalities by having them something happen to them or have that one of them affect the other in some kind of way? What can I make them say that might punch this up? Um, and in what ways can I create chaos intentionally? that causes them to have to react in a way that's going to garner some laughs. I love that so much. Isn't it something like comedy is status quo? Like you have to have the status quo, which we're ta we've talked about last month at the Mary's Group Academy. But then once you have that, you're like, you can just start building on that. And so, exactly. and there's so many Easter eggs until that final, like, the, you know, the joke finally like hits. 
Exactly. Like a burning comedy is, is, yeah, awesome. I love that description. I think it was really clear. Thank you. I like the idea of adding fictional chaos on purpose. Oh, always, always. You know, um, my book that I'm working on right now comes out in April of next year. And it's called um, The Good Ones Are Taken. And the main character is Maggie, Savvy's best friend. So it's we're back in the savvy verse. And the fun thing there is, you know, when I drafted the synopsis for Maggie, it starts out with Maggie in a slump. And so I was like, how can I show that and be really funny? And so I was like, okay, well, what's a common convention we might use? How about three strikes and you're out, right? And so the start of the story, opening chapter, she's sitting at a bar. She locks eyes with a guy across the room. He's gesturing her to come over. He's really good looking. He's got a bottle of champagne on the table. And she turns around and there's a woman standing right behind her. And that's the one he's talking to, right? Like that's strike one. Then you've got a gentleman who sits next to her. He's very clearly going through a divorce. She happens to be a tax attorney. They talk a little bit. And then out of nowhere, before he even knows her name, he asks if they can go somewhere to do the thing, you know, and she's like, whoa, that's kind of crazy. No. And so he goes and hits on some other ladies instead. Strike two. She goes home and she's thinking about the first couple um, that had the bottle of champagne on the table and how they were starting to get a little closer in their booth. And she had been watching. Um, And so she's a little turned on by that. And so she decides, you know, I'm going to have some personal time. And as she decides to do that, her batteries run out. Strike three. And so like by the end of it, she's sitting there watching TV, wondering what's going to happen. And of course, on her streaming services, the show The Golden Girls comes on. And she's like, this is great. I'm just going to die alone. Um, And so... They're not alone. They're not alone, but she was like, you know, I'm going to be well into whatever age and be in this moment where I just don't have my person yet. And I'm, I'm upset about it. Um, But she's also slightly a dramatic character in general anyway. So that's where that's coming from. But in building that up, that's how you kind of comedically show that someone is in a slump without telling the reader that they're in a slump. And so it's a great kind of way to kind of show someone like this is showing versus telling. This is also how you infuse funny over time so that it builds. That's so interesting. So you needed it to go badly. So you gave her an impossible task to give herself so it would inevitably go badly to show that she's in a slump. I like that. Oh, yeah. 100%. Got to set her up for failure, but can we make it funny? And we'll feel bad for her, but at the same time, we're going to be laughing. Okay, so failure, but funny in a cute setting with romance sounds like a good formula. There you go. (laughs) I don't know. I like all of that. To be honest, I've been thinking about pizza ever since you said it, so I'm a little (laughs) distracted. Yeah, I did all my questions. What's your favorite kind of pizza? Um, I think margarita pizza, but with like extra garlic. And I really like the thick crust. Mm. That sounds yummy, actually. I have some burrata here, so maybe I'll make a pizza too. Oh my gosh. I have some local fresh peas. That's what's at my house. Ooh. I'm very excited with pancetta. Ooh. Yes, that would be delicious. Mm -hmm. Talish, thank you so much for being here. It is always a pleasure. Uh, those of you who are out there listening and thinking, my goodness, my life would be so much better if only I could talk to Taj about my query letter. That is possible. <laughs> we'll put the link in the show notes. I believe you still have some meetings left. I um, do. 
And as always, it's it's a way to be like, hey, what's not going right here versus pass or fail. We don't we don't want that. We want real conversations because we care about all of you as real writers. And yes, we are probably stalking your social media just to learn about your cats and your gardens and your hobbies. Yes. So I love I love hot takes. I I, I scroll through because I'm always just curious to see, you know, what's going on with writers if they're, you know, in the middle of some sort of deadline or trying to, you know, accomplish something. I'm quick to jump in and root people on. And even for folks that I don't know, if they end up having some sort of an announcement, I'm happy to celebrate with people. Yeah, me too. So I think, celebrate. Yeah, you know, it's fun. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Well, Taj, thank you so, so much for being here. My pleasure. Always. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.